Now, Dennis Stewart, we are talking today our topic, the most popular conditions that are addressed by alternative medicine. Sounds good. We will, Dave. We'll have a look perhaps at the way in which complementary medicine has a lot to do with the gastrointestinal tract, that the stomach, the intestines, the small intestine, the large bowel. That's an area where herbs, complementary medicine, play a pretty important role. We'll talk particularly about irritable bowel syndrome. Joining us right now from Elmore Vale, Graham, you've got a question for Dennis about sage, Graham. Um, hello, Dennis. Hello, Graham. How are you? Good. Uh, I was listening to your show last week and you were talking about, a lady rang about use of sage for uh, eliminating body odour or reducing it. No, what I was and, <laughs> okay. What I was talking about last week was the way in which sage, red sage, uh, is popularly used, particularly in Europe, but increasingly so here, as uh, an initial way of seeking to combat uh, the flushing and perspiration associated with the menopause, and um, oh, okay. so there might be a connection with what you're talking about. But essentially, I put it that sage is an under-recognised and perhaps underused domestic preparation that can allow some ladies to work through that crucial stage of their life a little bit more comfortably. Oh, okay. All right, no, that's fine. I, I just thought it was body odour in general. That's okay. All right. Yep. All right, thank you for your call. We move on right now. Now, at Raymond Terrace, Jack, you're looking for an alternative to sugar. Yes. Hello, Jack. Um, hello, hello, Dennis. Look, I'm, uh, I'm on a bit of a strict diet. I've just got laid off work. Yes. I've just retired. Yes. And I'm not working physically as much as I used to. Yes. And I've noticed that my midriff is really ballooning out and I'm putting on weight. And even yeah. I'm doing yeah. a bit of exercise, but I've, I've, uh, I've been told I've got to sort of uh, do a, go on a bit of a more of a high-protein diet and mm. less fat and less sugar. Well, look, I, I love, I love mm, things. Yeah, look, I think the one of the things that you need to do is get hold of a copy of the book um, entitled "Sweet Poison." I'm sorry, sweet sugar. <laughs> that, that, the two perhaps go together. <laughs> that that is now that you've got a little bit of time on your hands. Um, that's a that's a great book to read by a chap called Gillespie, and uh, what it will do is point out to you the way in which. In our diet, uh, and I use the term our Western diet, how our Western diet over the last maybe 50, 60 or more years has been subverted by the accelerating inclusion of sugar, even into many foods that we consider to be healthy foods. It might surprise you and listeners to know that concentrated fruit juices contain a fair amount of sugar. And we need to increasingly look not just at alternatives to using sugar, say, in our tea, but look at the way in which sugar has crept into so many foods, and particularly when you're not as active as you have been and, and you're not burning up a lot of the, uh, the carbohydrates and the, the energy that they liberate in your body, you obviously put on weight. So get hold of that book to start with and do what I have to do because I'm, um, how can I call it, borderline type 2. I'm very, very uh, interested in what foods I eat. And when, when I go shopping, and I do a fair amount of shopping, my wife's very busy in the office and I seek now and then to do a bit of shopping, I acceleratingly and increasingly look at labels to see the content of sugar 
in the food that I'm eating. I used to be a great baked bean eater. I don't eat baked beans anymore because of the amount of sugar that's contained in canned baked beans. I guess what I'm saying is don't look at any one particular alternative to sugar. Start to become interested in the way in which the accelerated amount of sugar has crept into our diet and become vigilant in trying to move further and further away from sugar-containing foods in the direction of simpler foods and particularly, as you've pointed out, increased amounts of protein in place of the amount of carbohydrate that we use. Now, something you really cha- you really champion here, Dennis, is the use of glucosamine. And from Gresford, Lynn would like to talk about glucosamine now. Hello, Lynn. How are you doing? Good day, Dennis, and hello, uh, Dave. Hello. Um, I, I meant glucosaplex. Oh, Lynn, okay. <laughs> There's a bit of a difference. Gl- yes. glu- glucosamine is one of the constituents of Definitely. the product known as glucosaplex, and you and listeners know that uh, glucosaplex is a product that I developed probably close to 20 years ago now, and uh, whilst it's primarily... Um, administered or prescribed or dispensed for my patients. It's always available, of course, from my rooms um, at uh, Alma Road. But it's a little bit different in as much that glucosaplex harnesses the potential virtues of glucosamine for osteoarthritic conditions, but glucosaplex also contains additional substances which have mild anti-inflammatory characteristics and one of them in particular, the New Zealand green lip muscle, which is in glucosaplex, has a great deal of similarity with the actions of glucosamine. So glucosaplex, if you like, is a particular formulation incorporating all the good of glucosamine for osteoarthritic conditions and other, and other joint conditions, plus, plus, plus other important substances. Now, Dennis, we've spoken about the properties mm. and the the, uh, the benefits of tea. Now, we've got Pauline wanting to talk about the properties of red tea. Oh, hello, Pauline. Oh, good afternoon. Um, I'm just wondering if you can give me a little bit of advice on this um, product I saw a couple of weekends ago up in Tenderfield. Mm. Um, it was on the counter of a, a hardware-type shop with all these little brochures, and it was called... Hibiscus tisane infusion, okay. Egyptian red. Okay. If it was hibiscus, the what you're looking at is a herbal tea based on hibiscus. It is not based on what we consider to be um, tea. Tea is is, is, a, is a is a herb. Um, hibiscus is a flower. So what they're talking about there is a pleasant herbal tea based, I presume on the florets or the flowers of the hibiscus tree. I see. Now, look at, look, yes. oh, sorry. Mm. looking at that, um, it would be most unlikely, most unlikely, that if it is based on the hibiscus, it's most unlikely that it would have the same characteristics of, uh, of our tea. Tea is a, a distinctly different plant containing a significant amount of alkaloids, including caffeine, theobromine and theophylline, you would not find those, I'm sure you would not find them, uh, in the leaf or the flower of hibiscus, but the tea itself might be a pleasant tasting tea. It may have some properties, but I doubt very much whether it would equate with the properties that we relate to the tea that we normally drink. In my life I've been so lucky. I've never had appendicitis and I've never had tonsillitis. You're lucky, Dave. I'm very fortunate. You are very fortunate. But it can be very 
painful tonsillitis from Fern Bay. Chloe, are you struggling with tonsillitis? Oh, no, it's not me, my daughter. He, oh. seems, he seems to have um, recurring um, tonsillitis, mm-hmm. and now she's off the You know, like she's with me at the moment, she's 12. How old is your little boy? Um, girl, she's, she's 12. 12? Yes. Okay. Look, t- tonsillitis obviously can reach a point where in my opinion, the only uh, resolution is a tonsillectomy. But but it's, it's always wise to try to uh, treat the condition to get it to the point where, uh, as, a, as a result of the child getting older, uh, the condition becomes perhaps less intense. And over the years I've found that if one uses uh, a bracket of herbs, and I'll mention them to you in a moment, that very frequently you can lessen, uh, you can stop, the recurrent episodes of tonsillitis and give the child a chance to move on. The immune system becomes a little bit more competent, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And seemingly uh, the child will tend to grow out of the uh, situation of recurrent tonsillitis. But if we look at the literature, the herbs that I've found most useful as preventatives for recurrent tonsillitis would be as follows. Do you have a pencil and paper? Um, yeah, one second. Um... In my opinion, it has very little to do with the diet. I think it has a lot to do with the child's immune system. Obviously, it has a lot to do with the, the size, the characteristics of the tonsils. But the herbs that I have found most useful, and you would have to get them from a compounding pharmacist or a naturopath or a herbalist that had a dispensary, but the herbs that are most important uh, is the American herb Echinacea, E-C-H-I-N-A-C-E-A, the European herb Clivers, C-L-I-V-E-R-S, and the famous American herb which works brilliantly, particularly for chronic or recurring uh, tonsil infections, is the herb Golden Seal. Now those three herbs would normally be compounded into a liquid formulation, a dosage would be calculated, and the patient would take that that combination ongoingly until it became obvious that the tonsillitis was not as recurring as it had previously been. So that's the way I would go. That's how I have uh, treated many, many tonsillar conditions over my 30-year history in herbal medicine. Those three herbs, echinacea, clivers and golden seal, find a herbalist or a naturopath in the region where you are or a compounding pharmacist. If you can't, you can always come to the dispensary at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton. All right, and we've got Diane joining us now from Nelson Bay, recovering from a hip replacement, Dennis. Hello, Diane. Hello, Dennis. How can Um, we help you? I'm two and a half weeks post-op from a total hip replacement. And how are you doing? And I'm I'm walking well. Good, good. But I'm not feeling well. Okay, explain that, uh, Diane. Um, I have low energy level, low appetite. yeah. And I'm feeling nauseous most of the time. Oh, yeah. I'm walking well. Good, isn't that great? Well, and um, and not suffering a lot of pain, but mm-hmm. a dull ache, yeah. dull deep ache. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if I could mm. maybe get something to lift the spirits a little. Yeah, look, I think the procedure you've gone through is obviously a, a fairly demanding procedure. Very demanding. A- and the, the, the uh, anaesthetic procedure yep. is also very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suggest two things. 
I would suggest to start with, um, where do you live, by the way, Lynn? Milton. Okay. Go to your health food store up there. They know me very, very well. Mm -hmm. And get a preparation that contains what we call liver herbs. Right. And they would know that there are products on their shelves that would be called liver tonics or liver plex. Now, why am I mentioning this? Frequently, I've found that people that have procedures, uh, and elderly people in particular, the... Mm -hmm the effect of the anaesthetic seems to upset the liver, not in any significant or damaging ways, but people subsequently uh, feel liverish if we use that term in inverted commas. So a herbalist or a naturopath, controversial as it might sound, would treat the nausea and the residual sickness symptoms from the point of view of helping the liver to detoxify any residual right, toxins. Actually. Yes, and secondarily, um, at the same time, get something that will just give you a little bit of an energy boost. And I have for many years recommended, and you've probably heard me recommend it, uh, the combination Astragalus 8, which I have prescribed so frequently for fatigue and tiredness, usually associated with uh, the post-viral syndrome, but it may well be useful for you as a means of lifting your energy quotient and allowing the, the liver herbs also to participate in that. Those two simple little products available from your health food store up there in tableted preparation, I think you'll find would give you the lift that you need. And we've got Jeff joining us from Walls, and he wants to talk to you about vertigo today, Dennis. Hi, Jeff. Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, wondering if there's anything I can take to stop the... Uh, it's not actually dizziness. It's like I get out of balance in that all the time, you know. Jeff, you've obviously had this investigated. Ah, uh, yeah, I had a. It came from a, a viral infection in my, ah, okay. in my ear, of course. Okay, okay. And uh, I've seen neurologists, and there's nothing wrong with in my head, like in my brain. I had an MRI, sure. MRI scan. And sure, fine. sure. The only reason I ask that, of course, is that vertigo is more of a symptom rather than a disease, and sometimes it can be associated with things like blood pressure problems, etc., etc., etc. But if your vertigo is just a side effect or a consequence of a viral infection, I recommend a couple of things that are not expensive, perfectly safe, might need to be persevered with a little bit, but over the years I've found them useful as a result of prescribing and also as a result of um, people ringing in letting me know that it's been useful. Uh, two things to consider, um, and I'm not sure, you may have a compounding pharmacist out in Walls End that might be able to um, supply these, but uh, the first thing I'd do is mention that there is a European herb that has been the backbone of my uh, prescribing for this sort of vertigo for many years, and it's called wood betony, W-O-O-D-B-E-T-O-N-Y, wood betony. It has a monograph in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983 where you'll find that vertigo is one of its indications. It was popularly used by a, a very important um, Northern English uh, herbalist called William Smith, who wrote a book with an interesting title, Wonders in Weeds. And uh, he taught me a lot from that book, and Wood, Wood Betney um, was one of the herbs that he also, as well as the pharmacopoeia, recommended for a quiet perseverance to attempt to reduce that. So Wood Betney would be one herb. It usually comes in a liquid form. It's not a popular herb, as many of the better herbs aren't popular, uh, but you would get it in a liquid form. Um, the other herb that's worthwhile uh, uh, getting hold of and would probably be more easily procured is ginkgo biloba. And there are numerous brands of ginkgo biloba. Um, 
uh, Tabonin, T-E-B-O-N-I-N, is uh, one brand, probably the most uh, popularly known brand, a European brand that actually probably made the reputation for ginkgo biloba. I'd try those two things, Jeff. Righto. And Bronwyn joins us right now to talk about Livertonic products. Hello, Bronwyn. Hello, how are you? Good, good. That's good. Um, yes, look, I was just ringing up. I was interested to find out if there's anything really specifically you can do after I had a cholecystectomy some years ago. Yes. And um, I've always felt a bit weak in that liver area. Uh-huh. And I just didn't know whether there was something that sometimes I get the odd dull ache there or, you know, sometimes it's not, uh, I just don't feel 100% well. I, if you were a patient of mine, I would be falling back on um, addressing these lingering side effects of your procedure, um, the gallbladder uh, removal. I would be certainly looking at using herbs that we loosely refer to as liver tonics and three most important ones would be uh, dandelion, a very famous and uh, a remarkably effective liver herb and gallbladder herb, um, St Mary's thistle and globe artichoke. Now those yeah. those three herbs uh, can be looked up and in, in on the on the net or any literature would present them as the three most popularly used uh, yeah. natural medications for improving liver function and what we call liver drainage and I've used them to address particularly the symptom you're talking about a sort of a sense of unwellness a little bit of discomfort uh, a little bit of nausea at times try that I'd be surprised if that didn't help you those three herbs in particular are very safe and I say to all listeners uh, with with sluggish gallbladders um, or with uh, liverish symptoms and I use that term liverish broadly there where there's a bit of nausea and a feeling of unwellness, from a natural medicine perspective, we relate that all back to using those very safe herbs in improving the whole uh, biliary function. Now, Chloe, you would like to talk to uh, Dennis about herbal remedies for glandular fever. Hi, Chloe. Um, yes. I think, um, you know, my daughter, as, as I said before, mm. she suffered from the tonsillitis. Yes. And then they found out that she had glandular fever. I think yes. that's also the tonsillitis as well. Uh, they would be useful, but the uh, preparation that I have found most useful for addressing glandular fever is the preparation known as Astragalus 8. Now, the difference is this. Glandular fever is associated with a virus known as the Epstein-Barr virus, yes. whereas tonsillitis is, has more to do with an infection. Uh, and hence the use of the antibiotic. Antibiotics have little benefit in treating something like glandular fever. So with glandular fever, in my opinion, you would get a better result as far as your daughter or whoever it is getting over the episode more quickly and getting over some of the lingering fatigue that sometimes is left behind after the experience of the of the virus. So Astragalus 8 preparation uh, is always my favourite as a preparation yeah. to think about for that. Right, she, she has that, but she doesn't have a glandular fever now. Yes. But what do you think of this lomathium and the lomathium herbs or the, and the pelargonium or something? Uh, look, I, I, I don't know much about that. I'm more familiar with the mainstream herbs used in what we call Western herbal medicine, um, 
so I'd stick with those ones. All right. Now, Dennis, the Epstein-Barr virus, mm. does mm. that lie dormant within the, the body and can come back at a later date or not? The marker is there, um, but uh, the marker uh, will remain and, and indicate that the person has had an episode of glandular fever. Frequently what happens, however, is patients will say that the symptoms of the glandular fever episode have revisited them. Is it when they are tired and run down? When they're tired and run down, there seems to be a a propensity to experience a similar set of symptoms. So I I say to people that present who have the marker, if you like, uh, look, this thing could come back and bite you as far as an episode that obviously isn't the acute um, initial contact with the virus, but the lingering symptoms of fatigue are very, very commonly experienced subsequent to it. And we've got Alan joining us now from Rathmines. Energy levels, as you get older, you'd like to discuss that, wouldn't you, Alan? Yes. Hello, Alan. Hello, Dennis. What can we do for you, Alan? Um, it's probably uh, a lot of people have this problem. But yes. It's, um, I'm 69, uh, 5 foot 10, yes. 82 kilos. Yes. And I just don't um, have the energy that I had before. Okay. Alan, um, this is not an uncommon um, a symptom of experience. It may have something to do with uh, declining testosterone levels, who knows. But I would certainly recommend that you try one of the herbs that I've spoken about on this program fairly frequently. Uh, I'd, I'd try some of what we call Panax ginseng. Panax ginseng is popularly known as Korean ginseng. And what I will do, Alan, if you send a stamp addressed envelope to my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton. I will send you the monograph or the information on the herb from the remarkable text written by the German specialist on herbal medicine, Dr. Rudolf Weiss. He has a section on ginseng that will uh, confirm my enthusiasm for recommending it to you. So get that down to me. I'll send it back to you. Um, It's an easily procured herb. It's not expensive. Like all herbs of this nature, it needs to be worked with for a little while. But I, it's the quiet achiever, and I have recommended it to many males who experience this syndrome, and many have come back to me and say that it has lived up to its reputation. All right, and we've got Donna joining us now from Inverell, or are you down from Inverell, Donna? Yes. How are you going? <laughs> How can we help you, Donna? I just wanted to know whether you know of any treatment that can start a pituitary gland functioning again. Unfortunately, Donna, I don't. Okay. What about any other endocrine sort of organs? I've had um, thyroid cancer, mm. um, which there's no treatment for, but after the last sort of radiation, all my endocrine organs have shut down. Yes. So my adrenal gland, parathyroid, I've had to have a full hysterectomy, yes. obviously thyroidectomy. Yes. Um, and from what I'm gathering, the pituitary gland's the one in control of everything and it's yeah. not working. So So without that, I can't stop the cancer coming back. That's correct. Look, unfortunately, Donna, there's nothing that I know in complementary medicine that could address this complicated situation. Okay. I did actually see you some years ago in Gosford. Oh, did you? That'd be a few years ago, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yes, and it did pick up that I had something wrong with my adrenal gland and it turned out I had a large tumour on my adrenal gland. Yeah. Yeah, did, yeah. 
Look, I'd, 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 lo- I'd, lo- I'd, love, I'd love to be able to help you, Donna, and you know that, but uh, unfortunately I couldn't legitimately recommend anything, certainly not on the radio. Um, but, um, look, if you're down this way, um, if you were to come into my rooms at New Lambton, I'd sit down with you and have a good yarn with you and toss things about. And joining us now, we've got John from Mayfield about uh, atrial fib- fibrillation. Hello, John. Yeah, hi, Dennis. How are you going? Good, good. How can we help you, John? Yeah, Dennis, I was in AF for a couple of years and, and couldn't work out why I was short of energy. And yeah. I had a cardio version which fixed me for 14 months and good. I've just gone back into AF. Yes. I didn't know whether it was something naturally that I may be able to do. Oh, look, to at, atrial fibrillation is one of those conditions that's well managed within within the mainstream. I'd be I'd be reluctant to recommend anything there, John. Um, it's uh, it's one of the things that a, uh, that a cardiologist is best left dealing with. Yep, yep. No worries. Yeah, well, I'm on treatment with that. I just didn't know yeah. that may have been something. No, that look, you, what you'd be a, probably a beta blocker and. And look, yeah. that, that's, that's good treatment. That's good treatment. Um, complementary medicine has its place, but it's um, a fairly defined area, and the uh, area that you're talking about is very well treated and managed these days with the medications that you've just mentioned. I'd say stick with it, John. All right, John, thank you for your call here at 2NURFM. Now, our topic today is the most popular conditions addressed by alternative medicine. What do you mean when you say functional diseases? Okay, functional diseases to do with the gastrointestinal tract are diseases that are generally devoid of what we call any pathology. In other words, uh, there's no serious uh, bacteria or viral infections there, but there are a set of symptoms which indicate that the functioning aspect of the system is not good. Something like irritable bowel syndrome is a classic example where people will experience anything from colic through to flatulence through to diarrhoea, constipation. So you can offer some help with irritable bowel syndrome? That's a condition that responds very, very well. If we limit ourselves to to irritable bowel syndrome, my approach has always been to, to say to patients, make sure you're using slippery elm, either in capsule form or powdered form, and the herbs that are most effective um, are herbs such as chamomile, peppermint, and lemon balm. Now, a professional herbalist would probably combine those in a liquid form, but each one of them can be procured as a crude herb from a health food store. I suggest starting with chamomile. Chamomile uh, is remarkably useful as the quiet achiever on the gut. It has an antispasmodic characteristic. It gets rid of flatulence. And it also has some ability to build up resistance to food allergies. So those three herbs are the three that I emphasize as giving relief from some of the symptoms. And the slippery elm is useful also for regulating transit time through the gut. Those three herbs will deal with the symptoms of flatulence, uh, with, uh, with in- inflammatory activity, with spasm. And it's not a bad idea either to make sure that one is using something like acidophilus, uh, putting back, if you like, some good uh, bacteria into the gut, or if you're not uh, using um, acidophilus uh, in a supplement form, uh, you get it in a food form from the supermarket, good quality yogurt, uh, Yakult. Those three things, uh, slippery elm, the three herbs, chamomile, uh, lemon balm and peppermint, and recolonize the bowel with healthy bacteria, acidophilus, either as a supplement or using food containing high levels of it. 
It's not a bad way of addressing the most popular functional gut condition. Very good. Thank you for today. Time's beaten us again. We'll we had catch a good you time, Dave. We Love had it. a good time. Always love it. Dennis Stewart joining us for Health Naturally at 2NURFM.